I don't know if I should read anything into it, but uh, they sang the song Fool on the Hill, and then they had me come out. So, uh, and there's my teens clapping for me. Go, fool! So, uh, when I was growing up, my uh, father was an attorney, and uh, attorney for 41 years, and uh, in conversations in our home, they would be very uh, logical and in order, a lot of reasoning going on, very analytical. He was an avid reader. He used a lot of big words that I never understood and had to try to figure out. And because of that, the way I think is based kind of things in order. I like things 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10. I like things in order and sequence. When things are out of order, it's very uh, confusing to me. Some of you abstract thinkers kind of like that. You like connecting the dots. I don't like connecting the dots. I just like them to be lined up in front of me. And most of the time when you're watching a movie, that's what the director does. He introduces the movie and then he builds each sequence. So when you get to the the final scene at the end, the action scene, the dramatic scene, it makes sense. You're like, oh, I understand how we got from point A to point B. Once in a while, though, when you watch a movie, the director will decide for artistic reasons to start somewhere that doesn't make sense. He'll like drop in a sequence. And so let's say you go see a romantic uh, movie. You think it's going to be an acquaint little village that takes place. And the very first scene opens an action scene. It's a shoot 'em up action scene. And you're in the desert. And you're like, who are these people? And why are we in the desert? And all of a sudden, a fire-breathing dragon drops out of the sky. And you're like, what is going on? And a little car rolls up and 20 clowns pile out of it. And, and you're like, am I even in the right movie theater? And just before you get up to leave... The next scene that comes up is, it says three days ago or six months earlier. And you're like, oh, I see the director decided to do, I call them flash forwards. He decided to flash forward in the story, show us a scene, and now he's doing a flashback, hopefully uh, back to the beginning. And so, of course, it's Christmas time. We're sharing the Christmas story. We're talking from Luke chapter 1 and Luke chapter 2, which really makes sense. Uh, But I want you to imagine if the story of Jesus started here and you didn't know anything about Christianity at all. Maybe this is your first time of hearing anything, and, and here's where you came in. And when they came to the place that is called the skull, there they crucified him, and the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they cast lots to divide his garments, and the people stood by watching. But the rulers scoffed at him, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself, if he is the Christ of God, his chosen one. Next screen, please. Thank you. The soldiers also mocked him coming up and offering him sour wine and saying, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was also an inscription over him. This is the king of the Jews. Now, if you saw that, this is your first introduction to Christianity, you might be asking these questions, you know, who is this Jesus guy? And why are they killing him? And why are people just standing around watching? And why is he considered the king of Jews? And if this was a movie, the very next screen would come up and it would say, 33 years ago and would flash back to Luke chapter 2 the night he was born and it would be nighttime and there'd be some guys sitting around in a field possibly around a campfire wearing clothes to let you know that this movie took place a long time ago and here's part of the script in the same region there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night now what's so interesting is that the announcement of the birth of Jesus takes place with these guys. And when you look at this, and you look at the shepherds, and the shepherds were were needed, they were necessary, but parents back then weren't hoping that their kids grew up to be shepherds. 
that wasn't very exciting. You're just out in the field all day watching the sheep. You kind of smell like the sheep. Uh, people really don't want to be around you. It's kind of a lonely lifestyle. Nothing really to look forward to. And yet, the announcement starts here, out in this field. And if you think about the song, Fools on a Hill, these shepherds kind of are these fools on a hill, if you will. Of all the people that the announcement could have started with, God decides to use these fools on a hill. And I I was wondering, asking the question, why does the story uh, start here? And why with shepherds? And I think it's for a couple reasons. The fact that Jesus was not born in a palace and celebrated by the nobles speaks to his humility. He came to serve, not to be served. And furthermore, it helps us connect with Jesus. You're probably familiar with the phrase, the one percenters, the one percenters and the 99 percenters. The one percenters represents the ultra wealthy, people that have so much money that it's like, why buy one house when you can buy five? Why buy one car when you can buy six? Why go on one nice vacation when you can go on seven? They just have so much money and their lifestyles are totally different than ours that we can't even connect with them. They're they're part of the 1%. Because I'm guessing everyone here is probably part of the 99%. I mean, you have to get up and go to work every day and got to pay your bills and maybe you're living paycheck to paycheck. You don't have that much money in, in the bank account and you don't really know what it's like to live that lifestyle. Oh, we've dreamed about having lots of money. We've dreamed about winning the lottery and what it would be like, but we're not there. And so we just go on with our lives. And I was wondering, if Jesus was born in a palace, if he was born to nobility, would we be able to even connect with him today? Would they be able to connect with him back then? If you think the income wage gap is bad now, it was even worse back in Jesus' day. There was basically a few people that were wealthy, and everybody else was pretty much relatively poor, or very poor. If Jesus is born in a palace, he's not going to be rubbing shoulders with all these people who need to hear the message of Jesus, who need to hear the message of the kingdom. And so when he decides to be born of all places in this little town of Bethlehem, in a manger, among the common folk, people can relate. We can relate. In fact, most of us here were probably born in a hospital. We had better birth conditions than Jesus did. And so he's relatable. Oh, I I get this guy. And the story continues, and it says, And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths, or clothes maybe, and lying in a manger. I never know how to pronounce that one. Does anybody ever get confused on that one? Anyway, I was thinking about these shepherds. They're out in this field. Now, they don't have street lights or porch lights or city lights. It's pretty dark. Has anybody ever been out in the country when it's really dark? And you're out there, you're like, I'm scared. No, nobody raises their hands. I'm the only one who gets scared of the dark. How many of you don't go in your basement sometimes because you're scared of the dark? <laughs> Some of you, I've seen your basements. I wouldn't go in your basement either. You know, that's, that's right. It, it can be scary. So it's really dark out there. Maybe they have a campfire. The story doesn't let us know. Uh, Fun fact, you probably knew this, Jesus was not born on Christmas Day. Uh, The scholars probably placed his birth somewhere either in the summer or the fall. Uh, Since I was born in September, I like to think it was in the fall. You know, maybe he was... (laughs) Apparently there's some... I think he was born on my birthday, September 19th. So go Jesus. Happy birthday to you. Um, But it, it could have been the fall and it could have been a nice fall night. Uh, but you're thinking if they're out in the field, maybe they've got a little campfire. Maybe there's a little bit of light coming uh, from 
you know, the, the t- little town of Bethlehem, some campfires there, but it's pretty dark out there. And these shepherds are out there, and they're sitting around, and they're talking as they would do. And, and I wonder if, if they ever have a conversation, that they're talking about the Messiah. Like, you know, the rabbi last week was talking about the Messiah is going to come. But come on, we've been talking about this for hundreds of years now, since the prophecies of Isaiah, 600, 700 years ago. So I don't know if this Messiah is going to come. I mean, I think he's going to come sometime, but I don't know if he's going to come anytime soon. And then maybe right after that conversation, an angel shows up. And the glory of the Lord is shining around this angel. It's now incredibly bright in this field. And, and I love it. it. It says here, and I wonder if the angel's got a smile on his face. He's like, fear not. I wonder if they're looking at him like, too late, bro. It is too late. We are already afraid. We are sitting out here by ourselves, and all of a sudden, this angel shows up. And he makes this amazing announcement. Tonight, this very night, a Savior is going to be born. As I was thinking about Jesus' announcements, I, I was, uh, Jesus' announcement of his birth, I was thinking about normally how we hear a baby announcement. Normally when uh, a couple's uh, about to have a baby, they're in the hospital, and then after they have the baby, uh, you know, the phone calls will go out. Hey, you know, we had a healthy baby boy or a healthy baby girl. And I remember when my uh, sister-in-law, Emily, was uh, pregnant with her uh, second child. And the first child that Emily and Ben had was uh, their son named Timothy. And the second child was a daughter, and so on the day, she has the baby. It's a healthy baby. Everything's great. And I get the phone call from Ben. And he says, hey, Emily had uh, the baby girl, and she's doing great, and we're really excited. And, of course, I asked, so, so what did you decide to name uh, the baby girl? And no lie, I thought he said Zanna. And I, and I was like, like warrior princess Zanna? You know, like X-A-N-A? I, I didn't know what to say because that was such a weird thing because, um, you know, uh, Ben and Emily are really common names. Timothy's a common name. And I'm like, why would you name your daughter Zanna? Now, while that may be strange to me back then, of course, in 2018, you've seen what people are naming their babies these days. And so anything, I guess, is okay. But that just seemed really weird to me. And I got off the phone and I, I said, Gene, I don't know what's going on with uh, Ben and Emily. They're very... Very kind of normal people. They just named their daughter Zanna. And uh, she was like, what? I said, I, I don't know what's going on. So about an hour later, I called back. And I wasn't sure that I heard him correctly, so I didn't want to say, how is Zanna doing? Uh, so I was like, how, how's the baby girl doing? And he said, oh, Susanna is doing just fine. I thought, oh, Susanna is a normal name in my opinion. Zanna seems a little strange. You probably have a cousin named Zanna, and now you're offended at me, which uh, that happens at times, so that's okay. That, that's normally how the announcements go. But Jesus' announcement was totally different. It's this angel that appears to the shepherds. And, and the story continues, and it, it says this, And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. All of heaven seems emptied out to give praise to the Son of God who is leaving heaven and coming to earth to redeem humanity. Think about that. The Son of God is in heaven. It's perfect. It's glorious. It's amazing. That's where we all hope to be someday. And he decides to leave heaven and come to this little blue-green planet filled with people. And you know the joke about people. Like, for example... Your coworkers, your place of work would be great if it just wasn't for your coworkers, right? Our church would be awesome if the people weren't there. I'm not talking to all of you, just some of you. No. 
Yeah, that, that's how it goes. I mean, Thanksgiving would be great if just some of our family members didn't show up. You know how that is. And it's like we, we have this kind of love-hate relationship with people and how difficult people can be to work with and how annoying and tough we can be. And Jesus leaves uh, the perfection of heaven and he comes to this imperfect planet, this imperfect place to spend his life to redeem us. Just incredible. And in doing so, the angels empty heaven and they begin to give glory and praise. We just finished with uh, the month of November, and you probably saw people on Facebook posting every day in November something to be thankful for. And I thought, if, if November is the month full to be thankful for, then could December be the month that we're, and this isn't really a word, but praiseful for? You know, we're praising the birth of Jesus. I know it's the 16th of December, but for the rest of the December, could you find something in your life every day, say, I'm going to take some time to praise God this day for what he's doing in my life i can thank him in november and i'm going to praise him in december because that's what the angels are doing they were spending time praising him because he was coming to earth to redeem uh, mankind and the story goes on it says here when the angels went away for them into heaven the shepherds said to one another let us go over to bethlehem and see this thing that has happened which the lord has made known to us and they went with haste and found mary and joseph and the baby lying in a manger you go to the next screen, please? Thank you. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child, and all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. God not only uses these fools on a hill to announce the birth of Jesus, but they're the first ones to see Jesus and then tell others about him. And what was so interesting about these shepherds is uh, the angel appears and says, this is where the baby is, and as soon as the angels leave, they get up and go see him. What I love what the shepherds did is they immediately obeyed. You know, they didn't form a committee and say, hey, should we do this? They didn't take out a piece of paper and do a pros and cons list. What should we do? They just obeyed. And they went down and they saw baby Jesus. And I thought what was so interesting is that probably for many of you in this room, God has been speaking to you about something in your life. Maybe you read a, a scripture and the scripture left off the page. Maybe somebody said something to you and God's been using what they said. to. to ju- something's happened. You know God's been speaking to you about something. There's a lot of things you're not sure about, but there's probably one thing you're like, I know God wants me to do this or stop doing this. You know what He wants you to do and you need to simply obey. And yet, you want to form a committee to talk about it. Ah, should I do this? Should I not do this? You want to get out a piece of paper and do a pros and cons list. And you need to move past that. We need to be like the shepherds, and we need to simply obey and begin to do what God is asking us to do. It's a step of faith. The shepherds said, you know what? We're going to go down to Bethlehem. We're going to make the journey, and we're going to obey. What's that one thing that you know God's been doing with you this Christmas time where he's saying it's time to obey? And you've been putting it off and putting it off, and God's saying stop putting it off and just simply obey. And so when they go down and they see Joseph and Mary and baby Jesus, then they begin to share. And I I love this. They just begin to share what happened to them. They begin to tell people, man, we we saw the angel, and then we saw a multitude of angels, and they said Jesus was here, and so we went and came down to see baby Jesus, and they just begin to tell people. And of course, as they're telling people, then the other people are telling people. I want to ask you this. When's the last time you shared the good news with someone else 
I think a lot of times as Christians, we're kind of afraid. It's like, man, I, I don't want to get out the Bible and start, you know, quoting scriptures and telling people they need Jesus. It's not that, that it can't happen that way, but most of the time it isn't that way. Most of the time what God is asking you to do is just sharing what he's been doing in your life. And if he hasn't been doing anything in your life lately, is that a red flag for you? That's like, man, there's a disconnect in my relationship with God that I don't even know he's been doing anything in my life lately. He just wants us to simply share what he's been doing. Let me give you a simple example of this. Uh, Kind of just the way I look at it, uh, Damon and I like to play uh, basketball uh, with these guys, normally at the gym on Sunday night. And most of the guys that go to the gym are already part of some church. But there's a few guys that come that I just, we happen to know them, they don't, they don't go to any church. And so as they get to know us, uh, Damon and I will normally introduce ourselves, and of course you start talking about what do you do, and hey, we work at Faith Fellowship, and that's it. We, we don't get preachy, we don't have a sermon, we don't have like a three-point outline, we just work at Faith Fellowship, and we just leave it at that. Because we don't want to feel like there's some sort of setup. They, they know we're pastors at a church. And then, you know, we play basketball, and we talk sports and life and whatever, just, just like you would do. And about uh, four or five weeks ago, after playing several weeks, I asked one of the guys who I've known, I said, do you go to church anywhere? And he said, no, I don't right now. I used to as a kid. And I left it at that. So you would think the next question is, well, if he says you don't go to church anywhere, did you invite him to church? Well, there's nothing wrong with that, but I didn't because that feels like a setup question. That feels like what a pastor would do. Hey, if you don't go to church, come to my church. If I got a deal for you, I, I, I don't, I don't, you know, how many of you don't like the pushy salesman? Right, right. Nobody, especially when it comes to spiritual matters, no one wants you to be in their face with that stuff. So I didn't do the follow-up question. I, I just said, okay. And you know, we played basketball and hung out. And then about three or four weeks after that, he said, so what time do you guys have church? And I said, well, we have it 10 a.m. on Sunday mornings. And, and that's it. And that's all where the conversation's gone so far. And you're like, man, that seems kind of like a very slow, methodical process. Exactly. Because I'm hoping one day he'll come to this church or he'll go to some church. But when he does, I want it to be because the Holy Spirit guided him there, not because there was a guilt trip. You've probably been guilt guilt tripped by your friends and family sometimes. You know what that's like? Some people show up at Christmas and Easter because Grandma said, you never come to church unless it's Christmas time. And so you're like, okay, I'll go to church. It's not when you show up at Christmas times do you show up in January. And it's like, well, I don't show up in January because, it, you know, I don't, I don't want to be there. I don't want people to be guilted in the church. I want the Holy Spirit to guide people to church. And so when it comes to sharing, maybe at work or with your family or friends, do you try to plant little seeds of just what God's doing in your life? For example, you might be at work tomorrow and say, you know, I was at church yesterday and someone said this, or the preacher said this, or I heard this song, Fool on a Hill, or, or something, and it just, you know, this is what I thought about it. And you don't have to have the setup, this is what I thought about it, so what do you think about it? You just, just share your thoughts. Share what God's been doing in your life. Maybe someone at work or a friend or a family says, you know, we've been going through something, and you simply say, hey, tonight before I go to bed, I'm going to say a few prayers. Would it be okay if I pray for your family? I mean, 99% of the people are going to say, sure, it's okay that you pray for me, even if they don't believe. Do you look for ways to try to plant seeds to share the good news of what Jesus Christ has done in your life? Because I think a lot of people who follow Christ, because they're afraid to do that, they're not even looking for that. They're not even thinking about that. God is on the radar on Sunday morning, but come Monday morning, God is off the radar and He won't be back on the radar till next Sunday. And there's opportunity after opportunity where you could be planting seeds 
that God could use by the power of the Holy Spirit to see family members and friends, coworkers, people come to know Jesus Christ. But you've got to be willing to share. And that's what these shepherds are willing to do. What's so interesting is that they are there and they see Jesus, and Jesus' earthly ministry doesn't start for another 30 years. So think about it. For 30 years, wherever these shepherds travel, all the different little villages and towns they come across, and all the people they run into, they're probably sharing, man, there's that one night we were out in the field over by Bethlehem, and the angel showed up, and we saw the Messiah. And they're talking about it. And, and people are, are probably beginning to think at that time, man, we've been hearing about the Messiah for hundreds of years, but now there's conversation that the Messiah has actually been born. And then the story continues, and it says, but Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. I love this. As you probably know, Mary was most likely a teenager when she became the mother of Jesus. She was probably between the ages of 12 to 14 years old. Uh, so let's say she's 13. A 13-year-old is normally an 8th grader. So think about this. God uses an 8th grader to be the mother of Jesus, and he makes his announcement to fools on the hill, these shepherds. I mean, if you think God doesn't think outside the box, you're missing it. This is totally, this is like, if anyone's going to tell this story, it's like, this isn't how we would tell it. This isn't how it would happen. But this is exactly what God decides to do. And we have Mary, this young teenage girl, and when the shepherds come and they're sharing what happened, she ponders these things in her heart. She's, she's thinking about them. I mean, she shows the wisdom well beyond her years. At my house in the living room, there's a green recliner. And in my living room, we don't have a, a TV. It's in there, you kind of sit on the couches and you can talk or, or read or think. And sometimes I, I love to sit in that, that green recliner and read a book and ponder and think. Just a simple question. When's the last time you paused for 10 minutes to reflect on the birth of Jesus and what that means in your life? And then the story shifts back to the shepherds. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen that had been told them. What's so interesting about this is that God meets you right where you are, but he doesn't leave you right where you are. Just to confirm that, uh, God meets you right where you are, but he doesn't leave you right where you are. God met these shepherds through the angel right where they were, out in the fields in this little town of Bethlehem. But they announce the birth of Jesus, and they go and they see baby Jesus, and they go back, and now they're glorifying God. They're changed from the inside out. Have you been changed from the inside out by the power of God? If you were to do a spiritual heart check on your life today, what would the test say? He meets you right where you are, but he doesn't want to leave you right where you are. He changes you from the inside out. And then what was so interesting is that these shepherds go right back to what they were doing. It's true that God calls some to full-time ministry. He called the disciples to put their fishing nets down and become fishers of men. He calls some to full-time ministry and missionaries. But most people, he doesn't do that. He changes you from the inside out, and then he sends you right back to where you were so you can rub shoulders with the very people that need to hear about God. God sent these shepherds right back into the field and most likely they were shepherds all the rest of their life and went around sharing the story as they were familiar with it. God wants to use you. Wants to use you right where you are. 
He wants to use you in your home. He wants to use you in your neighborhood. He wants to use you at work. He wants to use you when you're hanging out with your buddies. Whatever you're doing, He wants to use you to share the good news. If you think sharing the good news only happens from the pulpit by the pastor, you're missing it. He wants to use you. But first, to use you, He's got to change you from the inside out. As I was thinking about the story, those kind of three key things that, that appeared. One was an attitude of worship. The angels worshipped. Hopefully this Christmas time there'll be an attitude of worship in your own life. The second one was obedience. The shepherds obeyed. What's that one thing in your life that you know God's saying, it's time to obey? Don't make a list. Don't, don't form a committee. Just obey. And the final thing is they're willing to share what God was doing in their lives. Are you willing to share what God is doing in your life? Would you bow your heads as we pray? Dear Father, I thank you for Luke chapter 2. I thank you for the story of the shepherds and Mary. Because honestly, God, I can relate to the shepherds. I can relate to just everyday common folk just doing their thing. And you showed up in the midst of that. I thank you for that. God, I pray this Christmas season that it'll move beyond decorations and christmas presents and spending time with the family and all those things are okay god there's nothing wrong with that but i pray it'll move beyond that it'll move to a time where december is a time of worship for us where we give glory and honor for the things that you've done in our lives that you'll help us to obey and you'll help us to share it's in jesus name we pray amen amen just remember afterwards we'll have the folks down front to pray with thank you